Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon, and today we welcome Damon Augustino from Sixth Street Automotive in McClenny, Florida. Damon is a technician at Sixth Street Automotive, and uh, I was able to have a really good conversation with Damon prior to our podcast here, in which he had some honestly really great insights through the eyes of a technician, which I, I think uh, as we talk more and more, that's what we want more of, right? We want more voice of technician. We want these guys to have their voice heard and and really talk about things that uh, we can get them in the room and really understand uh, and and maybe break down some communication barriers between employers and technicians. So Damon, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you, Jay, for having me. Yeah, thanks for for being on. Now, McClenny is just outside of Jacksonville, right? Yes, it is. It's in Northeast Florida. All right. small, it's a county is called Baker. Okay. It's a county seat of Baker County. So, and actually it's uh, quite busy for a small town. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that area. Although I do have to say it was a little bit of taunting when we first got on the call today, because you said that it had gotten down to 30 <laughs> and now us up in Wisconsin, we're starting to just, uh, the thirties are going to be a distant memory here pretty quick as we head towards Christmas. So <laughs> yeah, we, we sort of didn't know what to do. We had to run our water and bring all the plants and pipes, you know, pets in. So, uh, yeah, we, we really suffered hard for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Damon, and, and how, I guess, uh, how you got to where you're at today and, and maybe explain a little bit of, of what you do as a technician. Well, actually, I got into the uh, automotive trade um, sort of late in life. Um, I've only been a technician now for eight years. Um, I've actually been at Sixth Street Automotive for seven years. Um, and really, my growing up um, as a child, my grandfather was an old army mechanic. And so he taught me how to work on vehicles, um, you know, the shade tree sort of way yeah. on the farm where we grew up in Northeast Florida. And so I had a, you know, a good background about basically how things operate. I could change brakes and, you know, do small things on automobiles pretty much my whole life. And I decided, well, you know, I really love this industry. Um, and I left the other industry, which I was in, which was in the healthcare field. Wow. And I was just bored, you know, sitting behind a desk all day. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. So uh, I just started out changing oil at a local shop and oil and tires and they slowly let me start doing some mechanics and um eight years later i have seven asc certifications including l1 and um and i really really love it and today at my shop i'm i'm the pretty much the only diagnostic guy i do all the programming do all the um you know the computer diagnostics and we specialize in general motors we're an ac delco shop so that's my strong suit there that's crazy so uh it's maybe a little bit of a, a different uh, a different entry, although you did have exposure to it from uh, your grandfather, it sounds like. Uh, did you, was it on your radar when you were in, on the on the healthcare side? Like, was it something where you're just like, hey, that actually looks kind of cool, or I, I've got some experience with it? Well, it kind of was, and actually, I, I um, was interested in, you know, we had a mechanic shop in high school, and I didn't enter the program, but I thought about it, and it was always in the back of my mind. And, um, and since I did not have a, uh, you know, a four-year degree, I wasn't, you know, a 
a doctor or pharmacist or anything like that. I have a two-year degree uh, from a local college, and I was also um, in the military uh, for six and a half years in the reserves, and that got me into the healthcare because I had a scholarship for it. So, uh, but it end, ended up, I just, I was unhappy, you know, just, you know, being inside and being in a sterile environment, uh, so to speak. And I just wanted to get more into mechanics. And when I really found out that, you know, and I really love computers and working with, you know, electrical things and stuff like that. And when I found out that I could do this in the automotive world, you know, it wasn't just a typical grease monkey job anymore that really caught my interest. And I, I just dove right into it. Wow. And have, has that been accurate? Like that, that portrayal of not being a grease monkey as, you know, like a, a traditional maybe mechanic was viewed as to now, are you seeing like, was it, was it the same thing as what you thought it was going to be? Um, it actually, it actually is. And now I can, I have a better understanding of why we are called technicians today. We're not called mechanics anymore. Yep. Um, because you know, the role on the vehicle is not just mechanical and, and actually most of my days deal with diagnosing electrical circuits and systems and computer networks. You know, uh, there's certainly exceptions to the rule where, you know, some days it's, it's purely mechanical, but you know, as, as the industry goes more and more, uh, green, so to speak, and, and all the automotive manufacturers are shifting towards all electrical cars. Um, you know, unless you get into it and you know electrical systems and you know um, the laws of it, Ohm's law and everything, you know, you're going to get lost and, and fall behind. But, but yes, it's, it's actually better than I thought it was going to be, you know, so I really enjoy it. That's awesome. So how, how does somebody go from changing oil in the first year to understanding diagnostics, you know, just a short time later. And uh, granted, seven years is still nothing to, to sh- I, I, did you say seven or eight years? In, well, eight in total. Eight total. But, but yeah, actually only about six and a half of that has been as a technician, you know, about really? a year, year and a half, I was strictly an oil changer, tire changer, and just replacing small parts, no diagnostics. But I can remember I've always had an aptitude um, in high school and in college for math and, and science. Those were my strong suits. And, you know, and it turns out that those are the things I'm using right now in the automotive field. Um, I did poorly in history, did poorly in, you know, geography and stuff like that. But um, I love science and I love math. And, you know, and really, I guess I can remember the first day that I um, asked my my boss who was I was working for at the time you know what what is this thing called an oscilloscope and uh he had an older one built into the snap-on uh Vera scan tool and uh and he said well that graphs out you know and to me it looked like uh an electrocardiogram like I saw in the hospitals oh, you know wow. when I was in that field and I'm like wow it does it measures you know electricity over time so basically the same thing so I just you know played with it and just kept playing with it, playing with it and learned. And, and then later on, I, I found a, a company, a group called Auto Nerds. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. But uh, I've been a member of Auto Nerds now for about four or five years and learned a tremendous amount um, about diagnostics and using the scope uh, through them. Oh, man. This is so, what I love about you, Damon, is, is that that piece right there is something that I don't think enough young techs understand. Is First and foremost... I, when I was a young tech, 
and again, I refer to this all the time. I was a terrible tech. So I like it. This is from a terrible technician that's saying this is I didn't take math or science seriously in high school. And I always thought, oh, I'm going to be working on cars. Like, what do I need all that for? And then like looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, that would have, that was yeah. the exact opposite yeah. approach of what I should have taken. Yeah. So no, I would have never known years ago that, you know, cars would be like they are today. And, um, you know, and, and it's funny sometimes how we can get customers that'll come in and they're having one issue and they think it's, you know, they're pretty sure it's this area of the car or this, you know, system on the car. And it's something totally different causing the problem. You know, for example, like a, a defective brake switch we had uh, about a year ago on a GMC Traverse was calling all, causing all kinds of drivability issues, bucking and surging. And, and you know, when you would never put the two together, it didn't make sense even to me as I was caught it on a diagnosis, but uh, you know, um, it all works together. So what, what was it that made it click? Like, because I think so many people uh, from a technician's standpoint, and, you know, we talk to shops all day, every day, and they talk about needing more diagnostic people, needing di more diagnostic people, right? And where I think we, we lack, or maybe some, sometimes we overcomplicate diagnostics and, and try to, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to have an instructor at one point that just said, hey, listen, You've got this that sends an output signal to here and you're, you're telling it what to do. And then you're getting a sensor that tells it what it's done. And you're, it's just a communication loop and you try to figure that out. That wasn't until after I was out of the shop. So that, that would have helped mm. me a lot uh, if yes. I asked that. But is that what, I mean, are, are you, do you find that if you simplify things, it makes it easier or is it just because of your background and, and everything that you had that was like why, why it clicked? Well, for me, I think it came about um, when I was starting to earn my ASC certifications because I've, I was always, in my mind, viewed them as very important. And, and that's a whole nother uh, podcast, you know, for a different subject yeah. about ASC certifications. But I'm very, I guess I, I love to take tests. I'm a good test taker. Um, and once I was reading and studying the ASC manuals, that's really when it clicked to me how all these, you know, systems work. And, and the key to diagnosing that I found out, um, you know, much like other things, you know, that I've dealt with in the past is that if you understand the system, then and how it works, if you read the description operation, you get that good understanding, you can diagnose anything on that system. And so that that's really, you know, what what did it for me, I had a couple instructors uh, of courses that I was taking, and they said, Look, you need to, if you get a, a different vehicle, because working at an independent shop, we get all makes, all models. It's not like being in a dealership and you see the same thing over and over and over. So I might get a BMW that I've never even lifted the hood under before with a problem and I have to spend time, you know, and that's the key is billing, being willing to spend time researching and understanding the system itself. And this kind of, I think it works its way into what we wanted to talk about today, which is how a tech might evaluate employers or really even look at, you know, what is the, what is the expectation uh, of an employer through the eyes of a tech? I think one, you know, this kind of strikes me as a really, really good segue to that because I think what happens a lot of times, and especially when you get into a flat rate shop, is that you get rushed right off the bat, right? And you're not, you're not doing it to learn. You're doing it to get it out of the shop as fast as you possibly can because right. that's how you're getting paid, right? right. Is that, I mean, what, give me your perspective on that side of it. 
Well, you know, and initially it, it kind of was looked at it as a setback to me when I went to flat rate um, a while back because I started out learning all this when I was hourly, when I was still changing oil. And then I, I went to my employer, you know, when I wanted to become a technician and said, look, I don't know that I could make it on flat rate. I'm not fast at what I do, you know, but I do a good job at what I do. And way back, I was able to stay an oil changer and do some mechanical work. And he paid me like a flat rate differential on top of my hourly, you know, oil changer rate. So it actually worked out and I did a lot of learning during that time. Um, so it really didn't cost me a whole lot. And then finally, when I went to flat rate, I was a lot more proficient, you know, than I was. But when I talk to other technicians, um, especially in my shop and other shops, you know, that I run into, and they don't use a scope, they don't know anything about it, they don't, you know, if it's a hard electrical problem, they send it somewhere else or send it to the dealer. And I'm like, look, this is, you know, pretty simple to learn. You know, I know a lot of like smart people, they're very smart. Um, it's not a question of can they learn it, but it's, but you hit the key. It's learning it on the flat rate dollar. You yeah. know, it, it requires a lot of time. And I guess where I differ from others is a lot of the technicians that I know, once they leave the shop, they forget about the automotive world where, you know, in my living room and, and my wife sometimes complains, it's like, <laughs> you have so many automotive magazines. What is there to read? What is there to learn? You know? And, but that's what I do in a lot of my free time is, is study, you know, the trade magazines, um, get online in the forums like IATN, Auto Nerds, Diagnostic Network, and just learn from other people's um, case studies. Man, that is awesome. And that's, that's truly, you're viewing this as a, like a craft. It's not, yes. it's not just a job or, yes. it, you know, like this is something you're passionate about. And, and I'm sure... Uh, you know, maybe you're you're reading something on some issue on Diagnostic Network or whatever you're on, and it doesn't happen right away. But there's a a time in the shop, you know, probably a month down the road, where oh my goodness, I read that. And yes, what yes. It, I mean, do you run across that? A absolutely. And there will be something that I've read, and especially on the you know the training courses I've taken. I've taken a lot of AC Delco courses, and they'll just say like one little thing that was not even the the focus of the course. And, and I'll pick it up, you know, later I'll run into that same problem and I'll say, you know what, I know exactly what this is because I learned about it. Um, that happens all the, a lot of the time, you know, more so than often, um, you know, and especially how I guess that, you know, another part of the industry that a lot of shops, a lot of technicians don't realize is how specific the cars are for mm -hmm. the, especially like the oil you put in them to the parts you put on them. Um, you know, whereas years ago, you can run down to your local auto parts store and slap that on there and it'll work. Uh, you know, we're finding out today with a lot of these electronic parts, um, you know, even down to like a wheel speed sensor. If it's not OEM, a lot of times it's not going to work. And, um, you know, just understanding little details like that. But my employer that I work for, and, and I've been at Sixth uh, Street Automotive now for seven years, um, he, you know, my, my employer understands that and, and I get all the hard diagnostic stuff and, you know, and it's not, I, I don't lose anymore, basically. And a lot of it was educating um, the, the service manager to, hey, we need to call this customer. They have a complex network problem. Let's get another hour of diagnostic, you know, so the shop doesn't lose and I don't lose. And, but it was a long education process that, that went on there. And especially, you know, telling some customers, you know, hey, it's going to cost you um, 130 
$60 to diagnose your problem. And it may be just a rubbed wire somewhere, you know. Um, a lot of customers, you know, just step back from that. Some decline it. They're like, no, I'm not paying that, you know. But, I mean, slowly, you know, it's going that way. But that's what technicians want. A lot of technicians I, I talk to, they get frustrated with, um, you know, the, the hours, the shop hours, the labor hours um, that they get paid, you know, on a job. I mean, if you're doing strictly mechanical stuff, parts changing, then you can make a fortune in flat rate. You know, you, if you do engines, transmissions, and stuff like that all day, um, and we have some techs that do that, and that's all they do, and they do well. But then if you're a technician that gets a lot of the diagnostic problems, um, if you're not efficient at it, and if you don't know, have a clear path on how to diagnose um, and communicate really with the customer and the service manager, you know, you can lose your shirt doing it. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's where, in my experience anyways, where the, the level of disconnect comes. And I think I, I hear it more on the, the dealership side than I do the independent side, yes. right? Where yes. it is more of, you know, if, if you're, if you are a, maybe the perception, right? And some manufacturers are different than others, but the perception is that if you're a good diagnostic tech, you're not going to get treated fairly by that flat that, that flat rate system. Yes, I mean, I've you heard hear that something lot. similar. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Especially on the forums where they'll vent sometimes. Um, you know, for example, um, like General Motors, I interact with a lot of General Motors technicians, and and they say that all they get paid for a diagnostic is 0.3. Yeah. And that's crazy. You know, it's like <laughs> no matter what it is, it's, you know, that's all General Motors pays. And I don't know, you know, eventually I think something is going to have to happen. You know, they're going to lose a lot of technicians. They're going to have to, you know, make like some of them hourly or salary, you know, or make some sort of something's going to have to change in this industry. I'm a huge advocate for having hybrid systems or having, and not even hybrid systems as much as like, I'm not talking just an hourly plus an incentive, but more right. so giving a technician the option of right. which system they want to be in. Right. And, right. and I think that the general perception from a, a management standpoint is that, Oh, if I put them on hourly, they're just going to be lazy. They're not going to do anything, right? Like, I mean, exactly. I, I, I kind of get that feeling from managers. But yes. on the other and granted, I have seen technicians abuse that too. Yes. But for the most part, my opinion is they're not they're not trying to game the system. They just want to make sure that they're being treated fairly. Right, right. And, and you know, uh, the first shop, ironically, uh, that I started at, um, the owner had all salaried uh, employees, all the technicians, you know, were paid a, a salary, but contrary to that, he micromanaged and you don't sit down for five minutes. You don't, you know, if he sees you're going slow on a job, he was like a, you know, a hawk circling <laughs> over you. Um, and so it was like one extreme, you know, because he didn't want a lazy technician. He wouldn't want to waste his money, you know, but in the long run, it works out for his shop and he's been that doing it that way for years. Um, but a lot of owners you talk to, they say that, well, if I put them on an hourly wage, then they're going to slack off. You know, and I've seen that happen because it's, it's been tried um, actually at the current shop I'm at. Um, and for some people it works and some it doesn't. But I believe it's like any other industry. You know, like when I was in the medical field, well, you're hourly there. When if you're not performing, you know, what do they do? They, they fire you, you yeah. know, <laughs> or they write you up or whatever. And I think that that's just going to have to, 
start happening in this industry because I mean, the more complex these vehicles get and the more they go to electrification, you know, to get specialized technicians that know what they're doing, um, you know, is going to be difficult unless they offer them something, you know, other than flat rate. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, I also agree with a point that you brought up with, it's not that much different than any other industry, right? And right. it comes down to hiring the right people and not hanging on to the wrong people. Uh, yes. And, and you know, from, from the standpoint of, sometimes it sounds crude from, a, I'm, I'm guessing from a technician standpoint when I say that, but I've worked with techs that are just miserable in their job and then they go somewhere else and they're happy. And it's just because it's a better fit for them. There's, right. there's more person, like the personalities match up, yes. you know, whatever. And it's, that's okay. Like that's not the, from a technician standpoint, you should want to get to that point to where you're at a place that, that fits your style where you're happy because yes, otherwise every day is going to be miserable and you're just going to be, you're going to hate being a tech. And if you've, if you're yes. a guy that likes independence and you've got that manager, that's a hawk all over you all the time, then that's not going to be fun. But if you're a person that you know needs, you, you know you need to be driven a little bit, but then that you got a lazy manager or something, that's probably not a good fit, right? Like I, I don't do you do you see when when you're in your experience with tax? I mean, how did how do they handle management and, and how much how much does it vary by tech? Um, quite a bit. It, it's like there there's a couple my. The management I have in my shop now is very laid back. Um, they do not micromanage. They don't, you know, hover over you or anything like that. And, you know, we have a couple people, you know, in the shop now that if they worked where I worked in the past where they do micromanage, they would last about a week. Yeah. Uh, just like you said, it's not their fit. It's not their style. Um, you know, but it's like almost there's a fine line to walk there because you don't want to be too laid back and then the shop loses its efficiency and it's, you know, um, you're losing money, just money going out the front door. If you're not an efficient shop and you're not watching your techs, you know, pretty close. But, um, I found that almost like sometimes there's a little competition there with us technicians. Yes. Um, cause I could be turning out, you know, some complex vehicles, a couple of them and the, and the other next technician, the next bay, you know, gets a little more motivated, you know, like one example is uh, at my shop, we get our lunch breaks, you know, up to, you know, you can take up to an hour if you want to, or you don't have to take one or whatever. And, um, and a lot of times I'll take less than an hour. And that was like a new thing for the shop. I'd get up <laughs> from the table in 20 minutes and I'd go eat, I mean, go back to work. And, um, and the other guy's like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to go turn some more hours, you know? And so actually it's, I found that it motivated a couple of the others to get up from the table, you know, get off of your phone yeah, um, and get back to work, you know? And it's just, uh, just things like that and, and different things motivate different technicians, you know? And I, and I've been told also by uh, some of my bosses that um, I was told one time before I came to the particular shop I'm at, uh, one of the owners told me, he said, I can wave a hundred dollar bill in front of, such and such an employee, you know, who's no longer there. And he, and it wouldn't matter. I said, try waving it in front of me. You know, <laughs> it does matter to me. So some of them, you know, some are hungry, you know, for it and not just the money, but just, you know, to better themselves and, and, you know, and better and do better for the shop. Some just don't care. They just want their whatever hours they can turn that week. And that's it. You know, that's, that's the, the, the fit thing. Right. And it, yes. it's, I don't think enough, 
shop management people get that part of the dynamics that go into a shop and the different personalities. And one of the things, you know, and I think it ties right in with what we're talking about of, of, you know, really what a technician expects of an employer. One of the first things that I see a lot of employers screw up is that they put all technicians into one big bag. Like there, it's like all technicians are exactly the same. Right. Do you, do you, am I off base there or is that, I mean, is that more common than I think people? No, you're, you're pretty much on, you know, you're pretty much right on it um, because employers do look at it that way. And, and it depends on where you are too. It depends on like, for example, there's a huge difference in the technicians say in the heart of Jacksonville where I live and, you know, versus the little town that I'm in, like in the little town, there's probably 12 or 13 automotive shops, most of them smaller. Um, and it's, I've seen over the years, it's the same technicians and they like going in a circle between all the shops, you know, <laughs> because they're not happy or because they don't perform and they get laid off or fired or whatever, and then hired back, you know, two years later. But uh, yes, for, you know, for a large part, um, a lot of shop owners do think that, that, you know, all technicians are the same. And I, and I think probably 10 or 15 years ago, you could say that about most of the technicians. And, and then we go back to the grease monkey image, um, you know, whereas anymore, that's not becoming true. And, and shop owners are seeing that. And there's some out there that, you know, refuse to change. And then their, their bays are empty. There's no one to work for them. So, uh, and they're wondering why, right? And that's, yes. to me, that that is such an elementary thing that we need shops to understand is that right there. Like, yes. And so let me ask you this, when there, there's still a little bit, I get the feeling that there's still a little bit of old school, uh, there's still a lot of old school in, in our business, but one of the things that they, a, a lot of managers will talk about, um, and I see it through whether it's other people's podcasts or uh, through chat boards or whatever it is, where they're, they almost talk about like, well, I'm not going to treat them like a princess. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to, you know, how, how do you want a, a, a shop to treat you? Like, how, how do you want somebody to manage you? Well, I believe it depends on the individual and myself. Um, I like to be just, you know, Hey, here's what you need to do. Get it done. I don't like the close oversight. And I understand that once you're at a a new employer, you're going to have that oversight because they want to see, I can't tell you how many technicians, um, you know, the owners hired in my shop and they've come in, Oh, I can do this. I can do that. (laughs) And they unload five toolboxes out of a U-Haul and put them in and they, they can't perform, you know, And, uh, you know, and the first thing I, I tell the, the shop owner, I said, they're, they're looking for a job for a reason. You know, it's like the, the old saying, my, my family, uh, especially my father's side, has always had restaurants, uh, Italian restaurants. And, um, and he told me one time when I was working for him in that industry when I was very young, he said, we were looking for servers or waiters. And he said, all the good ones are already taken. Yes. He said, if you have ones that come to your door, he said, most of the time you don't want them. And I found that true, especially for this business. Um, if you have a technician that, you know, just shows up and it's not always, you know, there's every exception to every rule. But if you have a technician that's always, you know, going here and there looking for work, well, something must be wrong. Or if he's had three shops in the past two years, there might be a problem. 
Yeah, and so, a chance that that person just might never be happy, or right. unless something drastic changes. Right. What uh, What do you see out of texts when they come in? Uh, it, like when, so it's interesting to me because you you have the and especially now that you've been there for a while, you've got the unique opportunity to see maybe and view from a distance when a new tech comes in and how management handles that person. And whether that's a new person to the industry or just new to the shop, how, how is that dynamic? I mean, and one, it sounds like you have a great place to work at. It sounds like these people are just phenomenal. We could use more like them. Uh, but I guess one of my concerns, and maybe let me rephrase this. One of my concerns is when we when we bring in a young tech, we almost like eat our own, right? Like, because we're, we're, you know, they don't perform right away and they've asked for a certain amount of money, which they yes. can't live up to that expectation. So then it, it's, it's such a weird cycle that we see continuously. Do you see it in your shop? Well, what I've seen quite a bit is, is we'll, you know, they'll hire a new technician and they'll, you know, they'll have this dynamic resume or, you know, they'll tell the, the story of what they can do, or I owned my own shop, you know, for, 20 years and um and so they'll give them a chance and they'll start them and what you'll find out is like the first month they're fantastic they're turning out good work they're taking their time they're diagnosing correctly and then it's like something happens and then now that they have 50 percent comebacks you know and they're uh, falling off and you know it's like okay now i know why you were job hunting in the first place um you know and to me if if i see a technician that comes in and says well, yeah, I used to own my own shop. Well, my first thought is, well, what happened? You know, right. if you owned your own shop, it must not have been successful or you wouldn't be here today. You know, because um, the ideal thing to do as a shop owner is once you reach the age of retirement, hopefully you have good management and good technicians that can run your shop for you and you don't have to be there, you know, doing it. But um, where I work, they give everybody a fair shake and, and they, they bring them in when they're looking for a technician and, and take them at their word and then they'll, you know, they'll wait, they'll like pay, let's say I'll pay you, um, you know, X number of dollars now. And if you, you know, do well and do everything you say you can do, um, I'll give you a couple more dollars an hour, you know, in a month or whatever. Um, but they do, they give everybody a share, fair shake, but I tell you about 70% of, of the technicians that I've seen come through just aren't who they say they are or they can't do what they say they can do you know and that and that's a shame and i think you know a lot of times you know even when i came to this particular job i didn't want to oversell myself like that i undersold i said look i can't do this i can't do that and they're like well we still want you you know you can learn <laughs> but uh you know like for example today i have never replaced an engine never done an engine in in eight years I can do them, but it's like, I don't enjoy that. I don't yeah. enjoy long mechanical jobs. It's not my forte. Um, but I like, for example, I do all the interior dash work, the evaporators, the heater cores. I love it. I love trim work and, you know, and I can knock that out. And I think the key, um, you know, especially is a lot of shop owners have to find out where is this technician strong suit and you know what, because I've been to one place, um, you know, and worked only for actually three months. Um, because their idea was, well, I'm going to cross, cross train you in every part of the automotive thing. And it, it didn't work for me. Huge mistake. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I was ending up only flagging literally about 20 some hours every week. And, uh, I said, look, this isn't going to work. I don't want to do that, you know, but to a certain degree, it's good to have 
technicians cross trained in some areas, but you know, like there's some that, you know, they're never going to pick up a, a, a scope. They're never going to know how to diagnose an electrical problem. Um, they don't know what a load test is, you right. know, and they have no, no care to, but they can change an engine, you know, in half the time the book pays. So how, and this is fascinating to me, Damon, this part where when you first started out and you grabbed a scope, one, I don't see anybody do that. Uh, I, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty fascinating thing, but two, uh, there's a lot of times where a, a new tech doesn't even know that those tools exist. Like they don't know it's back in a corner with dust on it. I remember right. when I worked for my dad growing up, we had this guy that was brilliant with the scope and brilliant with everything, but he was literally the only one that ever used it. And it was kind of like, if I touch this thing, am I going to get in trouble? Because like, yeah. he, he's the guy that, that that's yeah. his baby, you know? Yeah. And it, it was the shop's tool, but it, like he, he just was like brilliant with it and you didn't want to screw with it. Do you ever, do you ever see that where it, it, somebody's maybe a little gun shy to even go use one of these tools in a shop? Uh, kind of. I mean, especially when, you know, somebody, I've had techs come in and, and they'll, I'll break out my picoscope and I'll be diagnosing a vehicle and, and they're like, um, you know, Hey, I think I'm going to like this one technician that worked for us for about a year. Um, he was interested in it and want to learn it. And he's like, well, how much, you know, how much does that cost? Can I, can I get one? And, and when I told him, you know, it's, you know, nearly a $3,000 tool with the whole kit and everything. He's like, Whoa. Yeah. And I said, but you can buy a, a cheap one for a couple hundred dollars and learn, you know, this way. So some, sometimes you get that, but more often than not, there's just no interest. There's just no interest there. You know, whereas me, I've always had a uh, aptitude and an interest in electrical things and just taking things. When I was a child, my mother reminds me, I would just take apart a radio to see how it worked, you know, and of course it wouldn't work again because I was five years old, <laughs> but I had my tools and I was going to take it apart and see how it worked. And that's just where I, you know, my interest lied. And I have a big, you know, interest in computers and software and, and stuff like that. Um, so really it, it came natural. Um, and my, and thankfully at the time when I looked at the, the snap on scope that we had in the shop years ago, the owner said, just take it and play with it. He said, wow. you can't break it. Just go play with it. You know, so that's what I did. You know what I was always more concerned about when I was doing that was, um, how many times I got told, like, if you fry that ECU, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that that I think is, a again, a lot of young techs when they want to go dive into electrical stuff and they hear that, you know, hey, that ECU, you know, and I don't know what an ECU runs now, but, you know, if there's a thousand bucks or whatever exactly. it was. You were here and at the time you have no money. So you're like, okay, if I do this and they take it out of my check, oh my goodness, yeah. it's going to be terrible. You know? So then I think it almost, it, it almost paralyzes you from, from actually trying stuff because you're so deathly afraid of screwing something up. I, I was actually never told that and never knew I could fry an ECU. <laughs> so I, I didn't know. <laughs> but the I best never, thing that could happen to you. <laughs> yeah. But you know, actually with a scope, you're not putting power to anything. Um, so there's no way really, well, not, I'm not going to say there's no way there are ways, you know, um, but it's very hard, uh, to fry an ECU with it versus when I was learning to play with a power probe, <laughs> um, putting power to things. Um, I had to learn the hard way a couple of times, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, just being put in fear or, you know, shunned away from it. It's just, you know, I've seen just, it's a matter of wanting to learn it, you know? 
Um, and I can, I could probably say that in my county where I work of the 12, 13 different shops, I believe to my knowledge, I'm the only one who has a picoscope or any type of oscilloscope, wow. um, other than maybe an old snap on built into the scan tool, you know, and it's, um, it's sad, you know, it's like, because there's plenty, there's plenty of work out there for everybody. It's like, we don't, my owner does not worry about competing shops. We don't worry about competing technicians because there's plenty for everybody. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and thankfully a lot of the other shops, they'll have a car for three or four days, not be able to figure it out. And where does it go? It goes to me, you know? And so I'm like kind of proud of that, you know, and I can't figure them all Should out, be. but you know, a lot of them I can't. And really the biggest help to me, because I am quote unquote isolated, I don't have anybody, you know, in the shop to, to bounce the technical stuff off of. I go to my forums, I go to, you know, to the auto nerds or ITN or diagnostic network or, or just email people. I know it, at a dealership, you know, and that has really, really taught me a lot. And, and being alone, so to speak, in the diagnostic world where I'm at, it's forced me uh, to learn. You know, it's forced me to, to be better. Man, but, what a good point. I mean, yeah. and you talk about, there's some of these forums, and, and I know Scott Brown at Diagnostic Network and, and a couple other people that I, I really applaud what they're doing because they're, they do a great job at creating a network. Uh, you know, yes. it goes far beyond just, you know, read the schematic and tell me what's wrong. It's, it's truly building relationships and, and having people be able to work together. And, and I mean, let's face it, those are typically some of the brighter texts that are out there and some of the, yeah. you know, the more, uh, the more apt to be able to diagnose something. Um, and that's, to me, what I, I, that's what almost every shop owner in the nation craves right now is that person. Yes, yes right? absolutely. And I tell you, I, I have probably 90% of my vehicle network diagnostics, especially with General Motors, I've learned off of one technician in Central Florida who's part of the forums. And I've read his case studies after study after study. And that's how I learn, you know, just to, make it very simple he just he simplifies it because he has a mind for that you know whereas i would have never thought of how to diagnose it on my own that way but just being able to network that's the key because i've even seen um and talked to some technicians where if you go into a shop and you ask for some help with something from a senior tech or more experienced well they're not going to tell you you know they're not going to share their knowledge with you um you know unfortunately because i guess they know that hey my I'm making money with this up here. And if I show this technician, it's going to be less money for me. Whereas that's not reality, but that's their perception of it. Yeah. And that, that part drives me nuts too. Again, kind of going back to eating our own, it, it really, that I think it's shifting a little bit where it's not such an old school approach in a shop. Right. Like, you know, there's, when I was growing up, it was kind of just mind your own business, do your thing and don't ask me for, for anything. Right. Like yeah. it was, I, I hope it's changing. I, unfortunately, I don't get to be in a shop every day anymore. But from the shops that I am in, it does feel like that's shifting or that's changing. Like there is more. And it, again, this could go back to the pay plan piece too, right? Because mm -hmm. if if it's all everybody for themselves, straight up flat rate, you're not getting paid. There's no guarantee. They still got to put food on the table, right? And so exactly. like, that's where you, that, where you start to get that 
right in fighting in my opinion that's at least what i've seen anyways right right and and you know and, and even at my shop i don't i don't mind showing somebody else and another technician if they want to learn something i'm happy to show them you know or a new especially we for a long time we went through a lot of uh lube techs yep. you know just changing oil they didn't they've never changed oil on a vehicle they got hired for one reason or another and just spending time to teach them you know, the first thing, you know, I like to tell them is you have the most important job. If you leave that oil plug loose, you know, the shop's buying an engine. Um, so it's like no, no position in the automotive industry is not important. And, and that's what a lot of people, you know, need, need to realize as well. And I think it's important that business owners get involved with local high schools who have mechanic programs or local technical schools, you know, and foster them. But the only drawback I've seen to that is the time and the money you have to invest in it. And yeah. is that employee going to stay with me where I can get the investment back out of them? Yeah. And I, this is one of the things you said that I really am appreciative of your employer is that they, they're not concerned with the other people. Right. And that right. that's one of the things that I see so often with these shops is that there's a lot of them that are very insecure in that like, hey, if I if I put this text name out on our Facebook page or if I put it on our website, people are going to try and come and try to steal them. And I'm like, you guys are yeah. going the you're, you're going at it yeah. the wrong way. Like yeah. you should be trying to make them happy, treat them right. right. Like don't right. don't be so concerned over what everybody else is is trying to like poach your people or whatever it is. Yes. Like come up with a good retention strategy so that you're the people actually like working there. And that takes care of a lot of stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and to me, um, being in like a, a family owned and operated shop and just having that feeling of family and community all sitting down at the same lunch table and having lunch together, you know, that's a, a, a big bonus. And you, you know, and you develop relationships uh, that way. And it is important to like, just like you said, learn how to keep your technicians, you know, don't worry about always losing them to the next shop because not every technician is going to jump at one or $2 more an hour down right. the road. Because what I learned a long time ago, I say a long time ago, a few years ago, just in this industry is, you know, number one, the grass is not always greener on the other side and it's not, you know, some places aren't worth just a few more dollars an hour to put up what you might have to put up with at some shops. Yeah. But, um, do you, but that, do you, that's basically it. Do you have any concern and, and, when I talk to techs that are independent shop, like they've been at both, you know, if they've been at both dealership and independent or have been primarily independent, one of the bigger complaints I see out of an independent shop is when a tech doesn't think there's anywhere else to go, right? Like when they've, they've plateaued and you've right. got to the top right. and you've got another 30 years to work. Right. <laughs> what, right. Is that, does that, does that, what do you do there if you're, if you're well, a shop? I actually, you know, I've been in that situation just in the past couple of years um, because I've sort of quote unquote plateaued at my shop. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to make any more money, you know, so to speak per hour. Um, I'm not going to become the service manager. Um, I'm not going to own the business. So, you know, that what I did at first, it was a little discouraging, but I'm like, you know what? Um, I just need to do something on my own. And so I started my own diagnostic business on the side, you know, that my employer is perfectly fine with. And, you know, and I do it when I'm not at the shop, I'm, I'm helping other people out or helping other shops out once in a while. Um, mostly individuals that either they cannot afford to take their 
you know, vehicle into a regular shop or shops can't figure it out and it's been sitting in their yard. And um, so basically, you know, a lot of technicians just have to learn how to um, market their self because if you are a good technician, um, you can always, you don't have to leave the shop you're at, but just come up with another, you know, type of uh, revenue source. So let me ask you this then, Damon, if what, is there any way or do you see opportunities down the road where an independent shop could help cater that like help, help to help you to grow into that relationship where you're dealing with other shops or like, or is it something where it's just like, you know what, I want my independence. I want to do this thing on my own and try it. Or is there, is there opportunity? And that's, you know, it, with me talking to a, I, you know, I talk both dealerships and independents a lot. Uh, I know the independents when they're talking about how they they kind of add up against a dealership. That's one of their concerns is okay, how do I paint a path for these good techs so that they'll want to stay here for a long time? And and I don't know that I've got a great answer for it yet. And that's I'm I'm interested to hear from your standpoint if they're if there's opportunities for an independent shop to maybe have avenues where uh, you don't even have to open up your side business, or even if it's just like, okay, you love your side business, let's try to work with you. Are there opportunities there to maybe just change the way that we look at that? Um, I think really it boils down to, well, a lot of shop owners, you know, that I've seen um, are not open to such. Uh, they're not, you know, a matter right. of fact, I've, I have interviewed some places before where you would have to sign a no, no compete clause. Um, you're not going to do side work, um, you know, while you're employed here. So a lot of shop owners are scared of losing business. They're scared of losing customers um, or yourself as a technician. They're not open to it. Um, but I think really as a, if I were a shop owner um, to create a, a broader path for a technician or more advancement, I would come up with more services that the shop could offer, you know, their self. Like, for example, and, and I really sort of fell into this, but we do, we're the only shop in our county other than a dealership that does um, carbon cleaning on gasoline direct injected engines. We're the only ones. And we have, uh, you know, a local uh, a company that we order the supplies from. I was trained in it and we're the only ones that can offer that. And I sort of fell into it in a training session, learning about, well, what is GDI? I'd never heard of GDI before and uh, fell into it. And I pitched it to my boss and, you know, and at first, and they're the old school, you know, they're the, they grew up in this. And at first they were skeptical. They're like, no, there's no way that, you know, your chemicals <laughs> are going to get that carbon off those valves and, you know, and it's not causing a problem. So it, it really, didn't happen until we had a couple customers come in with a GDI engine. They were having the, the cold misfires like, you know, typical with them. And I said, let me just, let me do this. Let me try this. And so I did it and um, took pictures with the boroscope before and after and, you know, and educated both the customer and, and the shop management that, Hey, this is another revenue source. So now guess where all the GDI cleanings come in our County, they come to us. That is awesome. Um, it's so it's just stuff like that. It's just what can basically what can your shop offer that no other shops are doing, you know, um, and I'll put this technician in charge of that, you know, and maybe give them a little bonus or whatever. Yeah. So yes, yeah, shops can and do things like that and just be innovative. Um, you know, and even in the past, um, our shop has held um just 
uh, Saturday training hot dog cookout and, and sort of training education session for customers. Mm. You know, this is how you check your oil. This is how you check your fluids and, and just getting involved in the community. And when you have customers start coming in and saying, Hey, I want so-and-so to work on my vehicle. Um, you know, because I trust them, they know what they're doing and they know my vehicle, you know, then that, that employee becomes a more valuable asset um, to the company and, and to their self, you know, they take, a lot of people take pride in that. And, um, that's another way that, that shops, the owners can retain these technicians. I think one, I, we should have, uh, your management on a podcast with you at some point. Cause I, I'd love to talk to them just because I think they do some really like, to me, the fact that they've been around for a while and then they also listen to you in some, with something like that to even have the, the, patience to say, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. That doesn't happen everywhere. That's, I, I love no, that piece. No. Um, and then secondly, I think as we're looking at this and, and if you were a tech uh, that in, again, you're, you're happy in your job, but when you're looking at a potential employer, I, I think it's pretty common knowledge that like, especially good diagnostic techs could basically go anywhere they wanted right now. Like they, yes. it's, it's, I mean, yes. any shop would be crazy to turn down a, a good diagnostic tech. Yes. And so to me, the tables have turned a little bit, right? Where it's not so much the shop interviewing the tech as much as it is the tech interviewing the shop, right? Absolutely. And so when, when I look at it from that standpoint, what's appealing to a, a good, like, like you for a, for a good diagnostic tech, what is it something like when you were, if, if you look at another shop and, and you saw, you know, Sixth Street Automotive out there and you didn't know anything about them, but you wanted to know if they were a good employer, like what, what would you look at? Well, um, I would, if I didn't know anything about the company, I would first look at reviews, look at their web presence, um, mm. look at their, you know, website, you know, if they had one or whatever. Um, and basically the reviews are going to tell a lot about the shop but really not the inner workings of the shop. And, and basically if I were to go interview somewhere now, I want to go meet your technicians. Hey, walk me through the shop. I want to kind of get a feel of it because what would make me, you know, turn me away from a shop, you know, a lot of places I've seen is they have a lot of conflicts between technicians or whatever. You know, I interviewed at one shop years ago and they say, now this person here, he doesn't get along with person B and that person doesn't get along with A and C you know, and I'm like, well, you've got a lot of problems in your shop. Yes. I was thinking, you know, when I ran away. So, uh, you know, you don't want to go to one place like that. But, um, you know, if a technician's looking for a new shop, you know, look at reviews, go there, walk through the shop. You can get a good feel and maybe just talk to a technician, maybe at, on their lunch break or whatever. Hey, how do you like it here? You know, and, and they may or may not be honest with you at the time, but, um, you <laughs> but know, you'll you get a good tell. feel. Right. Like when you walk into a shop, you could tell if the guys get along or not, or the yeah. guys and girls, like, I, I, I don't know. There's something about walking in somewhere and you can feel the tension when it's not, yes, it's not cohesive that yes. I think sticks out like a sore thumb. And, and yes, um, if you're not back in the shop and this is probably more prevalent to dealerships where uh, if maybe a dealer principal is not in the, in the back as much, they don't understand it. But the dynamics that go into a stressful shop, you can feel it. Like there's yes. just a different feeling about it. Yes, there, there is. And, and actually, you know, some people have been hired in our company and, 
and they were just that piece of sandpaper, you know, and pretty soon they, they had to go, you yes. know, either they quit or got fired or whatever, but and it only takes one person, you know, to spoil the attitude of the whole shop and the morale of the whole shop. But um, I think, you know, a lot of independent shops uh, such as the one I work at, they can't offer health insurance. You know, they can't offer a 401k. Some of them can, but you know, ours can't, but um, I'm not going to go jump to a shop you know, that offers these things just because they offer those couple yes. minutes. If I'm not happy at my job, if I can't go there and quote unquote, uh, relax at work and be at peace at work, um, then I don't want to be there, you know, and, and, you know, and right now I'm, I'm that way where I work. I enjoy it. I look forward to getting up and going to work. I get there early. Um, and it hasn't always been that way, but you know, it, it's that way now. And if you, and a, and a key thing too, is for the technicians to voice to their employers hey you know can you change this or this is going on and, and you know a lot of them are just afraid to speak up well and i think it comes down to when a tech doesn't have a good relationship with a manager and a lot of times right. to me i put the blame on the manager for not not kind of driving that relationship and i've been on the management side where maybe a tech is just they're they're not going to let you in right like they're just they're they they don't like you for whatever reason and one i always made it my goal to try and break down those barriers just because i think that's my personality and i, I just genuinely am interested in people but there's some people that just you have to earn their trust right like you it's just like right. it's that's not necessarily a bad thing like they you have to earn their trust and when that relationship breaks down and there's no communication other than like on a need to have communication basis, to me, I just, I don't think that's a good way of doing business. And it's, it, it, that starts, that's like you said, the sandpaper that starts creating that friction between the two. And I, how, how important is transparency in that? And so like, when I talk about transparency, not just saying, hey, Damon, go do your job, get out of this office, like, but really, hey, here's, you know, here's the latest, what's going on in the office, like, what, what do you want to hear from, from your end? Well, I want to hear, I guess, more than what my job entails. In other words, I like knowing the whole dynamic. Um, you know, what really opened my eyes as a technician, a lot of times is when I started actually talking to the customers. Um, or requesting to talk to a customer, I would have, I would get a, a worksheet, a work order on a vehicle. Um, they would complain of some type of intermittent complaint. And, you know, and eventually I said, look, let me, let me just talk to the customer. And I gained so much from that. Whereas typically only the service advisors are going to speak to the customer. Um, but, you know, I like to know more than just my job entails. It just gives me a better sense of, you know, what the company is doing, um, you know, how it's running, you know, and also it goes back, I guess, into that um, cross-training type thing. Whereas I, I should know enough about this company if I've been there, you know, five plus years to where I could fill in in this role if I need to. I could answer the telephone. I could, you know, um, let it take a customer's money or whatever. Um, and, you know, and that's important to me too. But again, you have some employers that uh, know you're not going to step behind this counter. You're not going to answer our telephone. <laughs> and I guess it depends on the, on the individual. Yeah. I think it goes right back to what we talked about before, where too many owners or managers kind of put all the technicians in one bucket. Yeah. And where, you know, for me, 
yes, Damon, I can put you in front of a customer. You're well presented. You're well spoken. You're not going to have a problem talking to a customer. But if Timmy or whoever over in the corner yeah. is not good with customers, yeah. but really good, you know, undercar guy just does all like everything you ask him. It, there's, I think you can't just put prints or you can't just put policies in place for cross training or, you know, cause there's just going to be some people that just flat out can't do it. Right. Or right. don't want to do it. Right. Like it right. has nothing to do with a yeah. customer. Um, and I think that's where, Looking at techs as individuals rather than one collective is such a such a big deal, such a big deal. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I've worked with some technicians that um, there's no way I'd let them answer my phone. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna speak to a customer, but they're a great technician. You know, it's just it's a, a matter of the employer finding out uh, the technician's strong suits and and weak suits. Um, and I believe, you know, it goes all the way back to the initial interview when that technician sits down and, and it's how they're interviewed. And because um, one of the hardest questions when I first started, you know, my working career uh, was when an employer asked me, you know, they'll always ask, what are some of your strengths? And we're great at telling our strengths yeah. um, about ourselves. And then they pop that question. Well, what are your, some of your weaknesses? Well, I don't have any, <laughs> you know, I care too well, much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of, of the employer getting to know the individual technician and know what they are capable of and not. And, um, you know, in a lot of things, um, it's just up to the technician to just take the initiative and say, Hey, can I do this? Or can I try this? You know, like, like I've done at my shop and, and basically I've proven what I can do and you know what I'm not so good at. I think we should have uh, a, an entire podcast based on what you would tell yourself uh, when you were on the tire side, right? And the, mm-hmm. like when you're on the tire and loop side on mm-hmm. how that transition works to go from that side over. Because one, I could have done that the entire time this podcast because I, I'm fascinated by what your thinking was as you went from, you know, kind of just, you know, one, reverse your, your career and your life upside down to go do this. And then to take the initiative to become excellent at what you're doing, I think there's a lot of young techs that would benefit from hearing your story in that regard, you know, and, and I know this was really kind of about uh, looking at shops and and what maybe shops can change, but I think there's a lot of great insight that you offer for, you know, a younger tech too, that I think would be hugely helpful. I'd be happy to talk about that sometime because there, you know, a lot does go through your mind as a, as a new technician, um, you know, and, and especially me coming in so late in the game, like I'm 49 years old and I wouldn't have ever dreamt that I'd have been in this role, you know, when I was 18, but, um, but I love it. And it's something that I can, you know, work up into a retirement in and um, you know, and again, um, it's just depends on the individual, but um, it, it's a, it was a big, it was a big step and, and, you know, and a lot of fear there going into the full technician role, especially a flat rate place. Um, but, you know, fortunately it worked out. Yeah. Um, I talk about this a lot, but when, when we're trying to get the voice of technician out and it, it, it's such a pleasure when we get to have somebody like you on Damon, that's passionate about the industry is smart, well-spoken and might not have the typical career path of what, you know, others do, but to, to shine a light and show the individuality of how different techs are. And 
you could have a another a good diagnostic tech that has a completely different background than what you've got or right. you could have somebody right. that's got you know like it just to me there's it, it's really embracing the uniqueness it's embracing that one that technicians are extremely smart people uh, i don't know that techs get enough credit for how how incredibly smart all of you are uh, especially the true technicians the one that the, the ones that can dive into a schematic or dive into a scope or, you know, it's some of the stuff you're reading is, I mean, that's, that's some really, really hard stuff to, to. It is, it is. And, and, you know, and a lot of it, I couldn't soak up the first time or I'd, I'd read about it in a magazine and I, it would just be like foreign, but then I would have to get it another way, watch a YouTube video or um, talk to another technician that's doing it. And, you know, and technicians, an important thing, one last thing really to mention is that, um, technicians learn in different ways and it's up to the employer really and the technician to work together and find out how did this, how does this technician learn best some mm-hmm. are visual some are read a book some are show me how to do it and i can do it you know right after you do it um and it's just different you know just like school you know not all students are the same and so it comes down to that well and i think that's where you know diving into whether it's personality assessments or you know and, and it's funny because when I was growing up, I always remember saying, well, I learned best by doing. And I think I was saying it just because that's what my dad said. Like I had, like, I, I had no idea how the best way for me what to learn was. And it ultimately ended up, it probably was the best way for me to learn is to screw it up and then keep going at it and keep going at it. Uh, but I didn't truly grasp what that meant. That meant screwing something up and then right. understanding why you screwed it up. And then, you know, looking back, there's so many things I could tell my younger self. I feel like that that would have been so much more impactful as I as I came into the industry. So I uh, I love your approach. I, I, I really, really have enjoyed our conversation here. Uh, I will really hope we can get you back on again, because I think this is just I, I, we, it feels like we barely touched the surface on some of this stuff that I, I know. We, we could really, really dive into. Absolutely. I, I've enjoyed it and I appreciate you having me on uh, the podcast. It was yeah. a lot different than I thought it was going to be. It's my very first podcast. So <laughs> it, it won't it be was last. Fun. It yeah, won't right. be last. You'll, you'll have plenty, but we, uh, yeah. we appreciate you, D- Damon, and everything that you're doing out there and, and look forward to the next one. Okay, Jay. Thank you. Thank you.